neveztük el, vagy okay. um, I have 77 points. 77 pontom van. We should be done by midnight. I'm only kidding. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for the message we already heard. Bless, we pray this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today we're talking about the missions-minded church. And I'm going to speak slow because when I have a translator, I get confused if I speak too fast because what happens to me if I start speaking too fast with a translator? I actually start saying what he's saying in Hungarian. If I start speaking Hungarian, just tell me to slow down. I think we are a part of a missions-minded ministry. Yes. Because. Igen. Igen. Yes. Igen. Yes. We. This room is full. And as we are meeting now, there is a theology session going on upstairs. We have a full room here, and this is amazing. We really are part of a miraculous ministry. If you travel a little bit and you see other churches, you realize what a great treasure we have here. That we have so many disciples that serve without any pay. Somebody asked me recently about our church. They say, how do you have so many volunteers? How do you have so many volunteers? And I thought, wow, I never even asked that question. That's amazing. But if you look at the Greek in the book of Acts, that many of the apostles served at their own expense. So we are missions-minded, I think. And we are, we are really a part of a church that was founded by a man that really, you know, by Dr. Stevens that really had a vision for the world. Because we were connected to Jesus Christ in a church that was missions-minded, we too have this mission-mindedness. How many leaders do we have here today? Leaders in a church, church leaders. One, two. That's amazing. Wow. All the other leaders are in the theology. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. I don't know. So maybe we could just talk about something else, uh, another aspect of this. And we could talk about compassion. It's one of the churches that um, Pastor Speedy was talking about. 
And we look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. If you and I have a Christocentric church, a Christ-centered church, then we are going to be minded like the mind of Christ in Philippians 2.5. And in the next verse, he saw, but he saw the multitudes. In English it says, but. But. And I think that there can be a moment when we are so busy in our ministry. And we are, in greater grace, we are, we are, man, we are just flying. We just got so much that we are doing because of the call. And we love it. But at this point, it says, but. It gives the idea that there is a moment that Jesus paused. In his busy schedule. And he saw. When Jesus looked upon the multitudes, as we see later, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary, scattered like sheep with no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, I want to stop there and just talk about that for a minute. That very often, as missionaries, long term short-term missionaries, pastors' wives, pastors, missionaries, we need to pause for a moment and look at the multitudes, the way Jesus looked. But when he saw the multitudes, when Jesus looked at the multitudes, he saw individuals. He didn't see multitudes. The problem that can happen today in the United Nations type of missions that we see in some churches is that people are very focused on multitudes. And they experience what is called compassion fatigue. Compassion exhaustion. Because they are not looking at individuals. And they're no longer moved by compassion. This can happen today in hospitals, for example. This does happen. There's a big problem. 
in hospital care and health care institutions in the United States and in war zones where there is so much tragedy and pain and difficulty that nurses and doctors become fatigued tired they, they have no more compassion no more capacity for compassion and the result is frustration anger uh, reacting at the patients even violence violence to some patients that is why we can hear sometimes about abuse in nursing homes because this is compassion fatigue this could happen to the believer you and I compassion fatigue is the first stage of burnout it's when we are in a program and in a in a movement, but we are not being, we are not taking that pause and saying, but let's look at the multitudes and individuals. And it's very simple. Jesus took a step back and he in one sense disengaged from what he was doing and went to the mountain to pray. Because without that disengagement, without that pausing, we cannot function we cannot function full time with overbearing tragedy and needs and trouble without stepping aside for a moment and being filled with the love of God towards ourselves. If you have no compassion for people, don't live in condemnation. Welcome to the human race. People do not love people. <laughs> that ended at the garden. When we don't have compassion or motivation or, de or desire, we need to step back for a moment, get alone with God, and let God love us. Sometimes when missionaries come home from being overseas, they may be experiencing different levels of this fatigue, maybe, I don't know. And they need that time at home base to be built up and get their tools sharpened. Timothy, Timothy Keller, who is a, he's a, he's just somebody, whatever. Okay, a man. He said this, and I like this. He said, if you want, if you want to ex understand on a personal level God's grace, 
All you need is need. That's all you need. To incur and to understand the mercy and compassion of God. All you need is need. That's true humility. When I go to God as a missionary or as a mother or as a pastor's wife or as a and I say, God, I'm empty. I am missions minded, but I have no power for that mindedness. And we understand there's no condemnation. No condemnation. That we are a servant and instrument and we have needs. And when we have that need and we go to God with that need, instead of saying, God, look what I've done, look what I have done, or look at all that I have suffered, all we do is we just go to God in our need. And we just let God's grace wash us. Wash and wash and wash. And just let God love us and love us and love us. And there has to be that mo- moment in our, in our missionary mindedness that we hit this moment where we hit but. And we say but. And then when we understand the washing of the grace of God, then we can look at the multitudes with true compassion and, 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 and I just want to maybe kind of finish there and maybe make one or two more comments that Someone's on a practical note. Uh, missions is very simple. It's very simple. And the flesh wants to make it complicated. And the flesh wants to make it something that it's not. Missions is just go. Go. Praise the Lord, that's it. Go. Be sent. As we go, we really have this capacity from God. And that's what we are doing here. That's what we're doing in Budapest right now. We're talking about missions. And I think it's really the heart of God. It's not something that's... See, when the flesh gets involved, there's always going to be a program. There's going to be control. There's going to be something other than compassion. Because when compassion is gone, somehow you have to feed the machine. This big machine. 
And that machine gets fed other things like emotionalism, intellectualism, humanitarianism, socialism, felt need. We are a and we are a proclamational church. We are not a self-need church. A felt need. Meaning when we preach to people, when we preach, we are proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the finished work, proclaiming, proclaiming a finished, equipped body life work. We are, not, we are not speaking like this. How do you feel today? Do you feel rejected? How do you feel today? And, and, and preaching to the needs instead of a proclamational ministry. A proclamational ministry makes us missions-minded. Felt needs preaching makes us spiritually introverted. So this is what this is what we are doing in in churches in Greater Grace. This is what we do. We. For example, in Ukraine, uh, we have three churches that are focusing on one new city. And last summer I was with the Ukrainians. And I said, let's plant a new church. And we sat down and we picked a city. And everyone is, is converging on that city once a month. In Poland, same thing. Today, uh, two days ago, I sat down with the Polish pastors. And I said, let's plant a new church in Poland. And we talked about different cities. And I used to live in Poland too. And we looked at the map and we saw Bydgoszcz. And it's between Gdańsk, Warsaw and Wrocław. <laughs> Hard names to say, huh? It's amazing, isn't it? What we do is we can, what we're doing in Baltimore is this. Pastor Jason, my brother. Uh, somebody, I was here, by the way, a couple, you know, for a few days, and this one person thought I was Pastor Jason the whole time. I didn't even correct him. I was just, yep, yeah, okay. Because we're one in Christ, you know, so. so. what he's doing is he's coming up from Baltimore, an hour and a half, with a group, with a group. A Bible school students, and I'm coming down from Philly an hour and a half, and we're meeting there in Wilmington, Delaware, and we want to see a church start there. Because Pastor Schaller would like to see churches start with healthy teams. Um, Pastor Andras and his wife, Vika, are, I have a vision for Paige. Uh, Vicky, okay. Paige, Did I say Vika? Vicky. Yeah. 
Pastor Cornell has a vision for, for Cento, or what's the name of that city? Cento. And how do we reach these places? We go together, converging on them as a body. And that way it's not too much weight for one church to try to do it themselves. I think when two or three churches together this is what we're doing this is what we're doing in the Balkans now Pastor Tomas uh, Pastor, Pastor Dragon and Pastor Hewlett and I'm helping in some way all three of them are converging on the Balkans and we're going to see a church start there this is the way this is the way it can be done And people kind of put their money together and then when there's a group of 30 or 40 people somewhere or a group then we send a pastor and a team you know Pastor Schaller when he lived in Budapest and I think they do this in Africa too is what remember what he did right you know how he did it right within two or three hours of Budapest let's send teams do outreaches now in Hungary we have 20 churches in Hungary that's the way to do it isn't it that's the way to do it because when it's one church trying to do it themselves it's difficult and I'll just finish with this that in your church in your church we should be thinking about men you know 10% of your church could really be core disciples that are men you know when I moved to Philadelphia I said I'm, do- I'm just going to be here for one thing I want to find men and disciple men and disciple them so that we can so that we can reach the Philadelphia area and now we're looking at some other places I'll finish with this one thing I was talking to Pastor John Post and I love that family aren't they amazing just crazy godly crazy family in a divine craziness not a mad craziness and I said to Pastor John a few years ago Pastor John I wish I had a thousand lives to live for Christ I said a hundred lives to live for Christ and he goes that's not no he goes it'd be better if you disciple a hundred people reproduce yourself in a hundred people disciple a hundred people like Jesus did and I thought that's such a good idea isn't it let's disciple people do you have a job in the church yes how many of you have some responsibility in your church you make the coffee you set the pulpit up you preach raise your hand raise Let me ask you a question. What happens to what you're doing if you're gone tomorrow? Are you discipling someone to lead your outreach? 
to, to do what you're doing in the church. Because discipleship is the key. And how many times was the word Christian mentioned and how many times was the word disciple mentioned in the New Testament? In the English Bible, I think it's three times, maybe. Christian. The word disciple is mentioned, I think, more than 40 times. I'm not sure, but it's just an astronomical difference. What's the message of the New Testament? Discipleship. 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 And this is how we, this is how we grow. Um, one cool statistic, and I'll finish. Uh, a really big Christian research organization recently did a study about the most effective churches in the world. And how many people does there have to be in a church that is effective? And six continents, no wait, how many continents? Many continents. Many countries, they, they polled a thousand churches. And they came to the conclusion that the most effective church has a, an attendance of about 52 people. Those are the churches that are moving the world of missions today. 52 churches, 52 people. Look at Greater Grace. Do we have mega churches in Greater Grace? I don't, I mean, we, are, we have between 50 and 150 and maybe a few churches that are bigger than that. We have a, in America now, there's this thing called the small church movement. And I'm way over time, I've got to stop talking. But the key is, as Pastor Adam said earlier, it's really about body life in a church, a small church, where we're able to reproduce our life in other people. And then we have mission-minded individuals. Amen. Okay, so maybe some questions. Do we have questions for Pastor Adam or myself? We have 